0: Hello, everyone. This is Scott Maxmare with What's New in Adaptive Physical Education. First off, very excited to be uh, wishing you all a happy new year. We're now in the 2020s, which sounds strange in itself. Um, also, very excited to be launching this new episode. Uh, where we are gonna talk about special education law and adapted physical education. Ooh, big topics. Uh, Today we have Dr. Mitchell Yell from the University of South Carolina and he is an expert in special education law and recently was a keynote speaker at the National Consortium for Physical Education for individuals with disabilities. Um, So he's, uh, you know, become much more involved in PE in the recent years and he's going to come on and he's going to talk a little bit about his research how we can advocate for ape in the iep process what the law really says about ape and what the law says just in general about fape and then one area that i have never really heard much about is uh cases so actual cases that deal with special education law and physical education So, Dr. Yell is going to get started in a second and begin this very exciting episode. Hello, everyone. This is Scott Mcnamara with What's New in Adapted Physical Education, bringing you another very exciting episode and one that I think our viewers and myself have really wanted for a while. Because today we're going to we have an expert here, uh, Dr. Mitchell Yell from the University of South Carolina. And he's here uh, as a expert in the area of special education law and uh, that's often been one of the areas that people have have said hey we need an episode on this and I don't think I've done a great job of kind of covering that content because uh, frankly I'm sometimes a little intimidated by it uh, to misspeak or anything like that Um, so with that uh, we have Dr. Yell here And, and Dr. Yell Can you briefly introduce yourself, uh, your area of study, and and maybe a little bit about your relationship with our field of adaptive physical education?
1: Yes, hi. Um, My name is Mitchell, and I am a professor at the University of South Carolina, and my area is special education, and my particular expertise is in special education law. Um, So that's my interest, has been researching areas in special education law. Prior to becoming a professor at the University of South Carolina, I was a teacher in Anoka, Minnesota. And um, I was a special education teacher, and this goes back to when the laws were first passed. And I w- worked a lot with our PE teachers, and we actually had, in the Anoka Hennepin School District, one adapted physical edu- education teacher that would kind of rotate among schools, and so. Um, I've worked with her a lot uh, regarding youngsters with disabilities, so I've always been really interested in looking at different issues in special education and educational law and one of them that I've become particularly interested in is the relationship between legal, the law and adapted physical education with respect to educating youngsters with disabilities. That's kind of how I became interested in it. and. Um, I've been writing in the area and doing research for probably about 28 years, so uh, which is about uh, the time that the law really started taking effect. Um, And so, I, I think it's really, really important that that all people who have students with disabilities in their classes or in their schools administrators, teachers, adapted PE teachers understand what the law requires of them.
0: So I'm, I am want to get more into like why we need to understand it, uh, but you mentioned that you were a Minnesota special ed teacher and you worked with a PE teacher. My, my listeners probably know this now, but like Minnesota, uh, in my eyes at least, is one of the um, the states that seems to really, really value and show value through a lot of their legislation of adapted physical education, they have the, uh, the DAPE certification there. Uh, and just, I wonder if, if you, like, because you were teaching there at that time, and if you have any insight on, uh, or if you were aware of, like, that, um, those certifications coming into effect during that time while you were teaching, and maybe why that, that, that certain state has seemed to have really strong legislation on APE there.
1: Well, you know, that's very interesting, and actually, uh, Minnesota had very early and advanced legislation in educating youngsters with disabilities, even before the federal law required it. Um, and because there was also a real movement in the area of APE, uh, the state was really a, kind of a leader in in both areas. And Obviously, because a lot of times AP teachers are working with youngsters with disabilities. The law is really important because, in essence, it doesn't really guide their day-to-day practice, but informs their practice. It uh, it requires that youngsters with disabilities receive the same uh, education as all other youngsters and also that, when necessary, it needs to be adapted or modified to meet their needs. So, yeah, Minnesota really has been in the forefront of both areas.
0: Yeah, that's, that, that is interesting. Just a kind of a quick side note. I told you we'd be kind of going off script here, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, um, it's been a, a big, big leader, especially if, if you look at their legislation and guidelines um, mm-hmm. for our field. So that's really interesting. So let's go back to that point. You you kind of mentioned that you think that basically everyone that's involved in the special education process Um, needs to be aware of the law now I I, you know I I advocate for that as well Um, but you know I think sometimes it's especially when I talk to like undergraduates or something like that but I sometimes I struggle with explaining why it's so important to know the law Um, you know because I'm not sure if uh, teachers or or pre-service teachers always can see why it would impact their day-to-day life so uh, I, I would love to, to hear your perspective on why is it important for all of us in the special ed uh, area to know the law as well as then maybe specifically for APE.
1: The primary reason is um, if we think of all of education, you know with all the students in public schools, the majority of students there will be state laws and maybe state rules and regulations. But with students with disabilities it's quite different. There's federal law that mandates that certain things be done in educating youngsters with disabilities under two basic laws and I can we can talk about those later. But uh, there they're not an option, they're they're mandated, and uh, it's very important that teachers understand what their responsibilities under the law are, because both laws, one is called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and the other is called, uh, which that's often known as uh, IDEA, and the other one is Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. If, if those laws are not followed, um, school districts can be held can be found to, can in in essence be held liable. Um, Not, you know, teachers aren't personally liable, but school districts can be sued under these laws um, if they are not followed. And uh, where the rubber meets the road is with the adapted PE teacher or the special ed teacher or the general ed teacher who has youngsters with disabilities. If they do not understand what their responsibilities under the law are, well, the students clearly will suffer, but also the school district could.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, it, is that, um? do we want to, when we're talking to maybe, especially our teachers and pre-service teachers, do we want to emphasize that it's, to me sometimes it's like, our, It's we're always just emphasizing that like, um that you're going to, to get a, a, cons, a negative consequence if you don't follow the law as far as like, you know, reprimand almost. Is there uh-huh. also a way that we can spin that to like almost be more of a positives that it's there to, um, you know, to, to help our students to, uh, you know, guide our practices in that way as well?
1: Yeah. Well, absolutely. And I think that's the the real importance of these laws, and the reason they were passed in the first place is because youngsters with disabilities, uh, not that long ago, you know, in the 1960s and the 1970s, were often just excluded from public school, were not even allowed to participate in physical education activities at all. And these laws came along and said, no, it's wrong to discriminate against youngsters with disabilities by not allowing them to participate in in activities such as physical education. And furthermore, if they have disabilities and need modifications or adaptations to the programs, those have to be implemented too. So the ultimate beneficiaries of these laws are the students themselves. And that is the primary reason we want
0: to follow them. Absolutely. So, and staying just with those um, those laws. So, you know, you talked about idea. Um, what what you know? We I think we all learn about idea, and we probably all learn different aspects of idea depending on who taught us, because um, mm-hmm. it's a really comprehensive law. Um, what parts of that law do you think are most important for an APE teacher to to most understand?
1: Well, you know, that's a great question. Um... The most important part of that law is the essential obligation this law requires of all public school teachers in the United States, and that is that we have to develop what the law calls a free appropriate public education for youngsters with disabilities, and that just means that we as schools are providing general ed and special ed related services and adapted PE services that are designed to meet the student's individual educational needs. Um, and and, um, So that's our primary obligation. Now the law itself does refer to physical education. For instance, I said uh, a free appropriate public education or what we often call a FAPE must be provided to youngsters with disabilities who are eligible for services under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or IDEA. And that fate means that they have to get special education services that are specially designed instruction no at no cost to the parents to meet their unique needs. And includes not only instruction conducted in the classroom, but the law specifically says it includes instruction in physical education. And the law even goes on to define PE um, physical education services that are specially designed, if necessary, to make FAPE available to a child. Those specially designed special ed services must be must be delivered in order to for the child to receive a FAPE. So and that includes all sorts of things. It includes not only physical education, but it might include physical education, regular physical education with uh, modifications. it could include adaptive physical education, it could include movement education, mo- you know motor development, a number of, of different areas. And the important thing for teachers to understand or adapted PE teachers to understand is if a child needs these services, they must be included in their individualized education program or their IEP. And that's an individualized document that's developed for every child, and if a child needs adaptive PE, that has to be included in in the IEP.
0: Yeah, I think that's and a it, that's a complex situation there because, um, you know, a lot of us in the field of a- APE, did, you know, maybe outside of certain states like Minnesota or California. Um, you know, a lot of times we, we know that the kids need adapted physical education, but uh, perhaps because of feasibility issues or school administrators not advocating for it or whatever it is, um, a lot of times, uh, you know, we're being told basically not to include it on the IEP or we're not being invited to IEP meetings. So I wonder how is it that, you know, how can we as, as, as a field and as teachers kind of, uh, you know, uh, effectively advocate for our, our, our inclusion in that IEP?
1: Well, you know, I, I think really it comes down to education. Um, one of the problems is that you said administrators often don't encourage that. Well, if that's the case, administrators, administrators are essentially encouraging that the law not be followed. And the law is there for a reason, it's to, you know, include youngsters with disabilities. I think it often begins with with the educational programs that administrators and teachers and APE teachers go through where they, they really need to be exposed to what are their important obligations. Now, um, this idea of, and I've heard, you know, this happens all the time, Is is administrators saying, no, we don't want to include that in the IEP, it costs us money. Well, there's another law, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, that says you cannot discriminate against anybody with disabilities, but all persons. But when applied to schools, schools cannot discriminate against persons with, students with disabilities based solely on their disability. So um, in other words, if they are not offered PE and all other students are, that would be an example of discrimination because solely because of their disability, a child with with a disability is is being told, no, you can't participate. That's a violation of a civil rights law. Um, And that can really get school districts in trouble. Additionally, that 504 says that if you have a child who needs PE, but not only do they need PE, but it needs to be adapted in some way or modified to be appropriate for their needs. You have to offer that. Um, let me give you an example. There was a, there was a, the Office of Civil Rights in the U.S. Department of Education monitors the implementation of Section 504 in the public schools. Um, a few years ago, there was a case called Hemet Unified School District, in which a district was held to have discriminated against students with disabilities. Who, because they were not allowed to receive adapted PE instruction. So um, again, 504 is a civil rights law. It's like Title VI of the Civil Rights Act that says you cannot discriminate against a student or a person, I should say, based on color, race, or national origin. It's the same thing as the education amendments of Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972, which says, you cannot discriminate against a person on the basis of sex. Uh, and 504 is the same way. Same thing. It's civil rights. You cannot discriminate against a student or person with disabilities based solely on their disability. So if you had schools saying, no, we're not going to offer these services, despite the fact that they need them, that could be a violation of Section 504. The only way it would not be is if the state does not require any pe for anyone any students if they require pe for any public school student they have to uh, honor section 504
0: yeah yeah and i think um you know being uh you know taken away or, or not allowed to participate in pe is an area that is a concern another one though i think is also just like allowing um, or giving kids uh, like proper like or, or assessing that they need additional services in, in PE is another one because many times we have kids that are uh, you know completely not doing what their, their able-bodied peers are doing um, next to them uh, but you know they're still not saying it's because they're in a general PE setting they're saying that it's not specially designed and so it's not going anywhere on the IEP. So I think both of those things are things that our, our field needs to be aware of but I also like you know I just think thing that I, I really struggle with is that if we tell pre-service teachers and teachers these things about the law a thing I really struggle about too is just being like okay so they know that they're in violation or their school districts in violation and as a teacher not as an administrator how do they effectively go and advocate and say to them hey there needs to be a change here And I don't know if that there's an answer for that really, um, because I think that's a complicated thing.
1: You are absolutely right. It's very complicated. Um, But uh, and and one of the reasons, and I touched on this before, is so many ministers really do not have a good knowledge of adapted PE, um, Section Five Hundred Four, or the individuals with disabilities. Education Act, but in terms of advocating, I think one of the um, the best advocates the child has is a special education teacher within the school. Um, They also uh, every school district must have a means to refer students, and if uh, APE teachers refer students for special education, or um, there will be every 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 public school in the country will have what's called a multidisciplinary team in which uh, it's a method for identifying youngsters with disabilities. If an an APE teacher or a PE teacher believes a child is needing some sort of adaptation or adapted uh, PE, they could refer a child, either under IDEA or Section 504, and that team has to evaluate that child. Uh, to determine if they do need special ed services. So that's one way. Um, uh, going to your school, uh, s- through your school district procedure, refer child, uh, going to your special ed teacher in the school who tends to be very, very strong advocates for youngsters with disabilities. There are also means to go through school districts, um, um you're, if you have a, a PE, uh, district supervisor or a special ed supervisor uh, if you can't get any uh, movement th- at the school level to go to the district level uh, and usually they will under they'll understand that because they people at a district level they know they're well educated in most cases on a school district's responsibilities uh, outside of that if parents uh, and and Many teachers will do this, and parents believe it that their child needs APE services. They could refer the child um, to either a 504 team or a, a or a IDEA team within the school. And if they make the referral, schools need to act on those. So, um, so outside of going through kind of that the parents or the school district, there are also um, there are states. Uh, Special ed programs have complaint mechanisms that can be filed by parents. So, if a parent believed their child needed AP services and they were not getting them, or they um, were not getting appropriate services, they could file a complaint, a state complaint, under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act with uh, with the state special education um, department. Um, also, there is. It, there's a department with the U.S. Department of Education called the Office of Civil Rights uh, that um, enforces Section 504. If a parent believed their child needed, needed adaptive PE or APE and their child was not getting it, they could file a complaint with the Office of Civil Rights. And by going on a computer and filling out a complaint form, they could literally have that school district investigated by by the Office of Civil Rights because their whole purpose is to monitor compliance with Section 504. I personally have just been part of a special investigation under uh, the Section 504 Sister Act which is called the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, on a, on a large school district and again it started out with parental complaints. To the U.S. Department or the U.S. Attorney. Uh, so there's, there's numbers of different ways. You know, it's, it's kind of complex, but I'd say number one, go through the school, go through the special ed teacher, talk to the child's parents and express their needs. And if, if the parent, uh, the parent can be a lot more powerful in initiating actions by school districts.
0: Absolutely. I want to go back um, a a little while ago. You mentioned that physical education was explicitly uh, defined and mentioned within the uh, idea. Um, And I think that's, you know, I think that's something that most people in our field know because it's something that we kind of we we, it's a shining star in our field. Um, I I wanted to know, you know, if if you knew for any reason, um, if you knew how it got there or why it might be there and then you know just why it might be important that it's also in there
1: well yeah very interesting actually uh the law was passed in 1975 way back then it was called the education for all handicapped children act and the original drafters who interestingly enough uh hubert humphrey from minnesota was was involved in that um in both 504 and and the idea but when the original testimony was taken uh, about the law, people addressed the needs of children with disabilities to receive an education that was individualized for their unique educational needs. And testimony there was testimony in those early hearings on the importance of physical education instruction, uh, and that and it made its way into uh, the law itself. And all laws, when, all law, when laws are passed on a federal basis, they tend to be very general. Um, and it did have mentions of the importance of physical education, including APE. Um, but when a law is passed, Congress delegates a certain amount of their powers to what are called regulatory agencies, and in this case, the Department of Education, to write regulations help school districts implement the law and they are much more detailed and way back again in 1976 when the regulations were written they included physical education activities as as part of that as part of specially designed instruction that must be available to all children with disabilities to ensure that they receive a favor for their individual educational needs now, uh, I am not familiar with how many, I think most states do require physical education. I believe there are still some states that do not. But again, if they do require it, Section 504 says you have to deliver those services to youngsters students with disabilities, and if necessary, they must be modified or adapted to meet their needs.
0: Do you feel like, um, because physical education is explicitly... Uh, discussed within the laws of curriculum um, that should be afforded to kids with disabilities do you, do you feel like that differentiated in any way from uh... other subjects even like something like music or art
1: it really does because um, I mean, the law talks about you know addresses special education programming the only kind of niche, no, I wouldn't say niche here is probably not the right word but Area within the education in education is specifically addressed in FAPE is physical education. Otherwise, it's all co- it's all grouped under special education and related services um, that must be provided to a child. But the law does specifically say this can include physical education services.
0: All right, so uh, I want to go back to also to the IEPs we discussed. So, idea. Um, obviously um, you know says that IEPs need to be given to kids that have specially designed uh, curriculum and instruction so um, with that uh, I wanted to briefly talk about as you know the APE teachers' role in it goals and objectives I believe that you know they're supposed to be doing pretty much what everyone else is doing they have goals and objectives if they're giving services is that is that correct
1: yes mm-hmm
0: and then the other yep. thing I wanted to talk about briefly, maybe this is not just about IEPs, but I know a lot of IEPs actually have a section on it, which is nice, but I don't know if it's always followed, but that, um, you know, uh, extracurricular activities. I think that was a hot topic a few years ago, um, but like, you know, what does IDEA or Section 504 or the IEP um, help uh, provide access to those uh, activities?
1: That's a great question. Um... Yes, both do, and specifically uh, the idea does address extracurricular activities. And the big controversial issue you were talking about really had to do with a, uh, a letter that was written by the Office of Special Education Program, what's called a policy letter, uh, saying that youngsters with disabilities have to have the same opportunity to participate in extracurricular activities, such as basketball or you know, World Affairs Club or wrestling or any a- extracurricular activity. Now, what the controversy was is that was interpreted as meaning, oh, they have to be in on the football team. No, that's not what they meant. What what the uh, writers of this letter essentially meant is, students with disabilities have to have an equal opportunity to participate in all extracurricular activities. So, let's say you had a child that. Uh, had a disability, wanted to try out for the foot uh, for the football team. Does that mean they have to be on the football team? No, no, absolutely not. Because there's a certain skill set needed to play football on a football team. So, but they cannot be denied the opportunity to, to participate or try out. Um, if they do try out, which they have to be given that opportunity, they don't make it. Well. That's not a problem. The problem is when people say, oh no, you have a disability, you can't try out. Unless that disability trying out for the sport could actually be dangerous to a person, they should be given the same opportunities to participate, but not, not necessarily to be part of a, of a team, but to participate. Now in terms of say after school activities, same thing applies. They have to be given an equal opportunity
0: to participate. Yeah, thank you very much for that clarification. Um, all right, I, I actually really like that you brought up that our unified school district uh, court case previously when we talked about APE. I want to know if you were aware of any other relevant uh, court cases, specific court cases um, to our field of APE, and, and I ask that because I'm really unaware of any that are specific to the area? I know of some that are more extracurricular, but none that are APE specific.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, actually, there, there are quite a few of them. Um, for instance, there was a, um, uh, a, a case out of the First Circuit Court, uh, United States Court's Appeal for the First Circuit, which is r- circuit courts or appellate courts are right under the Supreme Court in terms of importance. It was a case called diaz Fonseca v. Puerto Rico, uh, it was heard in 2006 and, and involved the parents of a child with spina bifida, brought an action against the school district under Section 504 under the IDEA and under Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, alleging that their child needed APE in the form of swimming classes, but the school would not provide it. Now, they provided uh, swimming classes for all other students, but just not for for students with this particular student with spine of bifida. Court found that the school had violated the IDEA and awarded tuition reimbursement because the parent had actually pulled their child and put her in a private school in which she would get AP in the form of swimming classes. Like I said, the courts found in the idea that the school district had violated IDEA because they did not provide FAPE, uh, largely because they did not provide adaptive PE or adapted PE. Um, Court found that school also had to pay their tuition, so they had to reimburse their uh, the the parents for the tuition, uh, transportation costs for three years at this private school, and also attorney fees. And there's been a number of
0: cases like
1: that. Um,
0: that's that's quite interesting. That's that's. Um, I really uh, I almost feel like, and this would I don't think that there's a journal or an article right now that actually. That I'm aware of in any recent years that has talked about those court cases. I think that would be really valuable to my to the, my field, uh, as well as maybe in a special ed journal um, of of documenting and narrating what some of the main points were for some of those cases with with regards to PE. So, just I think that's a really important topic to kind of talk about and, and court cases Absolutely. to kind of highlight. I
1: agree with you 100% on that. Um, there was another interesting one I want to touch on briefly. There's Definitely. actually Sometimes parents parents can always uh, sue a school district in what's called a due process hearing. And every case that's been heard, even that, that last case, which I talked about, went all the way up to U.S. Courts of Appeal, have been heard by courts, but other cases have also been heard by state educational agencies. And that's another whole field, like uh, there was a real important decision six years ago out of Ohio called Springfield Local Schools. Parents of a child with an IEP filed a state complaint alleging the school district had failed to implement the IEP because they had not delivered the appropriate amount of adapted PE services. The um, state found that the school had failed to implement the student's IEP because uh, it called for APE, and it called for the teacher to fill out a daily progress log, and the school district had never informed the APE teacher of that requirement, and so the school district was found to have violated the child's fame. So there, there are many, there are quite a few cases, most of them relatively recent, probably. I would say in the, certainly beginning in the 2000s, we've started started to see a real pickup of those cases. And again, they're brought by parents who believe their child is not being offered a free appropriate public education, essentially because they're not receiving APE services. There have also been cases brought to the Office of Civil Rights where parents file a complaint with the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights saying, you know, my child is not receiving a free appropriate public education under that law, mm-hmm. which essentially means the school district is discriminating. And these cases have also been brought on, particularly on the basis of adapted PEs. So there, there are a lot of interesting cases, and, and I agree with you people really need to understand these
0: yeah and then the specific ones would be very helpful to see i think to advocate and to better understand um i think that would be a tremendous service to try to disseminate that stuff as much as, as widely and, and um, effectively as possible uh one you know one area that i am the most familiar with that's that we cite a lot because it's the most recent as well is like the gao on um, the government accountability office in 2010 did a comprehensive kind of look into um you know how schools were uh you know um delivering pe services to students with disabilities and they weren't very positive either so that's you know that was about almost 10 years ago now but that's you know the one that i know about that has probably been the most frequently cited thing that the government's done with pe or adapted pe uh in the last 10 years but that would be great to hear more about those those specific court cases
1: well it, yeah, yeah there are not only specific court cases and and complaints filed with uh, state departments, but there's also a lot of guidance from the Office of Civil Rights and from in the U.S. Department of Education, the Office of Special Ed Programs within the U.S. Department of Education. And these come in the form of what are called Dear Colleague letters or policy documents regarding the use of A.P. In fact, when I when I started doing this research for the you keynote or the uh, my talk, um, uh, before the, um, uh, AP folks at Allie's, um, conference, um, were so, I, I was finding so much information. There was literally not enough time to go over it all. Uh, so there's a lot of information out there.
0: Yeah. That's, that's really helpful to know. Um, all right, I'm going to move on to the last question that I had for you today. Uh, and well, it was really two parts, but the first one is within the next five to 10 years, Um, How do you believe that special education laws may change? Because obviously IDEA was last reauthorized quite some time ago in 2004.
1: Yep, absolutely. It's it's supposed to be reauthorized generally every six, seven years, but it's not been close to that. Actually, I would say the biggest change that is coming has already occurred. That was the U.S. Supreme Court just uh, made a ruling On special education, on the FAPE requirement law, uh, back in 2017, in a case called Andrew F v. Douglas County School District, and they changed the definition of FAPE essentially. And what they, in the way they changed it, was they essentially uh, said that uh, in order for a school district to confer a FAPE. The IEP has to be reasonably calculated to allow a child to make progress appropriate in light of the child's circumstances. And uh, the big change there was up until that particular Supreme Court decision, um, school districts could meet the FAPE requirement just by providing educational benefit, which is a very ambiguous what does that mean, how much benefit. Well, the Supreme Court actually changed that to did away with the word benefit and said now the student has to make progress appropriate in light of his or her, her circumstances. And so, I think probably the the law will be reauthorized. The idea will again be reauthorized. I would say certainly not until after 2020, but. Um, when it does, I think that law is going to reflect that and that's going to, that's going to make a big change because school districts are going to have to collect data to show that students are making progress. And that's, uh, and that's a, that's a lot, lot higher standard. Um, so I think that's the, that's going to be a big change. And so what that means is if children have IEPs that have a you know ape in within the iep that there's going to have to be a way of collecting progress monitoring data on the child's how the child is progressing in the ape program i think that's probably one of the biggest changes that'll happen and with respect to the idea of being reauthorized we Think I think that's going to be the major change, but I'm sure there'll be some others too.
0: Yeah, and I think we're always afraid in our field that that you know page or so that talks about physical physical education will be stricken from from the record. Um, you know, and, and through talking with you, I don't think it would be the end of our field per se. No. Um, but it it'd still maybe hit us, you know, even ego wise, it would hit us. Yeah. Uh, and so, how can we advocate uh, to to you know keep that part in the law, and maybe even you know uh, make it fuller and more comprehensible?
1: You know that that's a, that's a such an important area. I think as AP teachers, administrators, special ed teachers, if we want to make a change to the law, we need to advocate for that. And writing your congressman, writing your senator, going to town hall meetings. Um, I was just in Washington D.C. where yeah. we had a uh, day of advocacy on the kill with our senators and and congressmen, and they really, I mean, we're it's like you folks are the experts in APE. Senators are not. Congressmen are not. They need to be educated, and so we need to use our political voice and kind of let our expertise shine and go, you know, go in. To be, don't be afraid of advocating uh, for the rights of, of children to get APE services. And I think we need to be active in terms of writing emails, like I said, visiting our congressmen, visiting our state and uh, federal congressmen, and just educating them about APE. Because believe me, they don't know, and their staffers probably don't know. So. They need to hear from their constituents. So that's one way, I think, that we can make sure that happens. Also, I don't think APE services are going to be going anytime soon because of that law, Section 504 I talked about, is a backup kind of to that. It ensures that kids with disabilities receive, if, if a state offers PE services, they have to offer them all on the, to students with disabilities on an equal basis. And if that means adapting a PE class, that's what you have to do.
0: Very nice. So I would say
1: advocacy is, is the most important thing.
0: Absolutely. Well, Dr. Yell, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this very, very important uh, topic with us and sharing some of your expert, uh, expertise. I really think that this will help our uh, listeners help better advocate for APE and just provide better services uh, altogether for kids with disabilities across the nation.
1: Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed
0: it. All right. Thank you.